Well, welcome everybody. It is an honor to be standing up here in front of you this first Sunday of 2020. I count it as the first Sunday of a new decade. I don't do math. And so I think this is the first Sunday of a whole new 10 years that stretch in front of us. And I am serious when I say I am so honored that week after week you give me the chance to speak to you. I am grateful for that. I know Jeremy feels exactly the same. Um, we, are, we are very cognizant of the fact, we are very aware of the fact that this is a privilege that you extend and, and we appreciate it. As Jeremy pointed out, we're looking at Matthew in our Bible classes, we're looking at Matthew in our sermons, and today we are at a crucial turning point in the whole way Matthew as a book is put together. Matthew chapter 16. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you highly to go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 16. It's like Matthew, as he, as he takes all these stories that the church already had about Jesus, many of these stories the church already had and was circulating and telling, and Mark, we think, had already written a gospel based on the preaching of Peter. But when Matthew puts all these together, he kind of builds a momentum up to this dramatic moment that happens in the middle of chapter 16, this confession of the king. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so that's what we're going to look at today, and I really would like it. I mean, I know I've put a bunch of scriptures on your study sheet, and that's good. But if you have Bibles, it'd be fun for you to look at that in your Bibles, because then you can flip back and forth and see some of the other stuff that's going on. You can see that all along, Matthew has pointed out the questions and, and ideas that people are having about who Jesus is. Way back in chapter 8... Jesus stills the storm. He's asleep. The disciples are freaking out. Don't you even care that we're going to perish? Jesus just kind of wakes up and says to the storm, be quiet. And the storm obeys him. And the disciples ask the question, what kind of human being is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Matthew chapter 11 John the Baptist, who knew earlier in his career who Jesus was, is now, because he's in prison and things are not going well, I think maybe has doubts and wants reassurance. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Matthew chapter 13, Jesus in his own hometown. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Jude? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? Matthew chapter 14. At this time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. 
That was Herod speaking from his guilty conscience for having killed uh, John the Baptist. And then Jesus kind of summarizes all of that. He gets his disciples to tell him, what are people saying about me? Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. You notice what is going on. Matthew has let you, if you've been reading the gospel carefully, and we've been trying to do that in all of our Bible classes, if you've been reading the Bible carefully, the gospel of Matthew carefully, you, the reader, have known since chapter 1 who Jesus is. He's the king. He's the king prophesied in the Old Testament. He's of the proper line of David. He is uh, born of a virgin, just like Isaiah 7 says. He is recognized by the wise men, heralded by a star, feared by the false king. Uh, he is anointed by the Holy Spirit, recognized in the words of Psalms 2. He is the king. And yet, as Jesus goes about his public ministry, some people get a glimmer that that's who he is, and other people are just confused. Jesus provoked a lot of questions and a lot of confusion. And all the questions and confusion, this is filling in the next set of blanks too, this is, this is BOGO, two for one. All the questions and confusion help us focus on Peter's confession that Jesus is the king. By building up some of that tension, by helping us to realize there were people who were getting glimmers that who Jesus was, there were others who just could not figure out what was going on with Jesus. We're more excited when we finally hear Peter come out and say it. What we've kind of been knowing all along and been frustrated that more people don't recognize. What about you, Jesus asked. Who do you say that I am. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. If you if you mark in your Bibles, or whatever the equivalent of marking in your iPhone Bibles would be, you probably want to mark verses 16 and 17 in Matthew chapter 16. Because that is set up, people who know way more than I do about literary structure, that is set up as the fulcrum of the Gospel of Matthew. That moment. Confusion, questions. Who is Jesus? What kind of person could do the things that he's doing? How can, he, how can he do these things? Who does he think he is to forgive sins? What kind of a guy is this? You are the king. That's what Christ means. That's what Messiah means. The son of the living God means the same thing. It, it, the, the son of God in the Old Testament is the king. Today you have I have made you my son. 
and so Jesus is being confessed as king at this moment. That's what this is. Everything has led up to this. And you'll notice from this point on, you'll notice that in your Bible classes as we continue to study Matthew, uh, after this time, the tone, the whole tone of Matthew will change. Because from this point on, everything is going to start to be about what happens when Jesus gets to Jerusalem. It is a turning point. It's exciting. You are the king. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. You didn't get this from a human source, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, here's a very controversial passage right here. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. That's, a, that's an interesting passage, and... And tons of stuff has, have been done on that passage. And I don't even want to get into all the ways that passage has been iterated. If you go to Europe and you see depictions in stained glass windows of the different apostles, if you see uh, a guy standing there and he's got keys in his hand or he's got keys under his feet or he's got key, giant keys standing beside him, you know that's Peter. That's just the iconography of the Middle Ages. Keys means Peter. Um, and all kinds of things have been said about what does this mean? What does this mean? We've got to think about it how Jesus would have meant it in the first century, how those early Christians would have taken it. Can't read this through the lens of the Middle Ages. Also can't read it through the lens of Martin Luther and John Calvin. Got to read it through the lens of what would that have meant when Matthew wrote it? When Jesus said it, what would that have meant? And here's at least part of what I think that's got to mean. It's not just about Peter. It's about what Peter just said. You are the Christ. Blessed are you for confessing that I am the Christ. And you can imagine those early Christians who first read that after Matthew wrote it going, wait a minute, I confessed Jesus was the Christ when I was baptized. I'm blessed, I guess. Blessed are you because flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven. <gasps> I confessed Jesus? Does that mean my, the Father in heaven revealed that to me? On this rock, I will build my church. I'm part of the church. And the gates of death, Hades, will not prevail against it. We are us, the church. We are on the attack against death itself. 
death is hiding behind its gates. It's hiding behind its wall and we are going after it. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Wait a minute. What? God's in control. Jesus is the king. How come Peter gets authority? How come we get authority? What? Where did that come from? Jesus comes back to this same phrase later in chapter 18. And he really is not just talking about Peter. He's talking about you guys. He's talking about the Christians. This is an authority of Christianity passage. In chapter 18, he's going to say, whenever even two or three Christians are together, and what you agree on will be bound in heaven. This is an authority of Christians passage. Now, this leaves a lot of questions unanswered. It just doesn't address a bunch of things. So I'm not going to try and solve all the problems that this could raise. But it does say this. Jesus is the king. And he intends to do something amazing. He intends to spread his authority as king out through all the members of his kingdom. What does that mean for you today, 21st century, 2020 Christians? What does that mean for us today? It means when two or three of you are together, you have some of this authority too. That's a scary thought, but it's a thought that's actually been there the whole time. You know, there are people who say, well, Jesus... Uh, never actually wrote anything down. No, but he gave his authority to his church. When you read his Bible, of course, it is soaked in the spirit of God. But it is also an exercise of the keys that Jesus gave to his church. When we have elders in our congregation. That is an exercise, I believe, of this passage. Now, don't just take my word for it. You need to study for yourself. When we have deacons in this congregation, that is an exercise of the authority that Jesus, he's not like any other king. He pushes his authority out into his people. He wants us to rule the world for him in his way, by his rules, according to his standards. But he wants us to rule for him. That has some serious implications for me. If one of you comes to me, especially if two or three of you come to me in agreement and say, Jim, what you said or what you are doing is not, is not right. I can't just take that as an opinion. I may disagree, but I can't just take that as a human opinion because you are part of 
the authority of Jesus Christ by virtue of you being a Christian, by virtue of you having confessed the same thing Peter confessed. You've been touched by the Father the same way Peter was touched by the Father. And you have some of this same authority. Whenever someone comes to you from the church, whenever a group comes to you from the church, whenever the church says, this is what we're going to do, this is the way we're going to try to do that, that is not just a mere human decision. It may not be right every time, but it is not a mere human decision. It is an exercise of the authority that Jesus Christ means to push down from his kingship out into his kingdom, into his people. It's a strange kind of kingdom that Jesus intends to set up. I give you the keys to the kingdom. He goes further. He is a, he's going to turn out to be a very strange kind of king. Jesus, king Jesus plans to build the church as his kingdom and for the church to exercise the king's authority on earth. I'll repeat that. King Jesus plans to build the church as his kingdom and for the church to exercise the king's authority on earth. And then he goes further to, real, to, to help us understand that he's a different kind of king. From that time on, and this is true, you can read this the rest of the Gospel of Matthew. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and then he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus says, you're right. You're actually touched by God to be able to confess that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. To be able to say that means that's been revealed to you by the Father. But here's what it means for me to be that Christ, that king. When I go to Jerusalem, instead of riding in on a glorious white horse with a lightning sword and slaying the Romans and establishing, you know, the, the holy kingdom on earth, killing my enemies, my enemies will gather around me like so many vultures and will kill me. And I will pass through that death that they inflict on me. And I will rise in three days from that death. That's what's going to happen. Peter can't stand it. And the one, Peter who was touched by God just a moment ago to say Jesus is the Christ is now touched by Satan to say exactly the opposite. No! You can't be killed. If you're the Christ, God's Christ, God surely won't let you be killed. 
We've had enough of the Romans being able to kill us. We've had enough of our rulers being able to, to kill us. Surely when the Christ comes, it's the end of all of that kind of thing. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Please don't add to my burden by adding your voice to the voice of Jesus' temptations, uh, the voice of the temptations that Satan is giving to me. Get behind me, Satan. King Jesus, it turns out, is the king sent by God's love. Instead of killing his enemies, he gains his throne by being killed. He's a very different kind of king. Every other king you can think of, every other emperor, every other ruler of every other kind gains their power by overt or covert violence. And they maintain their power in the same way. Overt, actual killing or threatened killing. That's what government is as far as humans are concerned. It's the only kind of power that governments are able to wield. It's been known for a long, long time. And Jesus says, I won't kill my enemies. My enemies will kill me. Because I am the king sent by God's grace. I'm the king sent by God's love. An enemy that you have to kill is an enemy that God and you have failed to reach. It doesn't mean that there aren't some enemies that have to be killed sometimes. The state does not bear the sword in vain, Romans 13 says. But every enemy that has to be opposed in that way is an enemy that has been failed to be reached by the love and grace of God. It's a failure. How many of you when you were kids, were afraid of your mother. I was more afraid of my dad. He was the real, really hard disciplinarian in our family. But my mom, you know, he was gone a lot. She had to, she had to take up the fly swatter occasionally as well. I was scared of her. And I obeyed her out of fear when I was little. But it turns out when she was 93 years old and less than 100 pounds and couldn't move without a walker, and she asked me for something, turns out I would go to four different stores until I found a particular kind of ice cream and drive two hours to make sure she got it if she needed it. And it wasn't because she could spank me anymore. Why would I do that? There is obedience that's driven by fear and that's the kind of obedience that violence and the world's governments, that's the only kind of obedience they really are any good at. 
But there's a higher kind of obedience, which is the kind that God is constantly striving to pull out of you and out of every human being he's created, which is that obedience of love. And Jesus is that king sent by God's love. And so for him to win his kingdom by killing everybody is actually going to be a defeat. The ones that he has to kill are the ones that are going to fail. He wants to win the world. And he wins the world by sacrificing himself. And you and I, when we come to Jesus, especially as we grow and mature in the faith, maybe at first it's because we're afraid of what he might do to us, the punishments, but as we mature in the faith, more and more we realize it's not because of the punishments, it's because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us that we serve him. And who God is and what he's done for us that we serve. And that's really what God is trying to accomplish. That's who Jesus is. That's why we act the way we act. That's why he calls us to be the kind of people that he calls us to be. And, and that's actually the segue to the next section. Jesus is the king sent by God's love. Instead of killing his enemies, he gains his throne by being killed. He says, that's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be killed. What about you, my followers? Verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for somebody to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their life? their soul we who follow king jesus can expect to suffer and even die like him that's just the facts if he's the king sent by god's love and if he's given us the keys to the kingdom which is the way i understand the passage if he's pushing his authority out into us he wants to rule the world through us he wants to rule it the way he rules he wants us to exercise authority the way he exercises authority. Everybody you have to beat into obedience, Christian, is someone you've failed. Everybody you've got, anybody you've got to bully into obedience to God is somebody that you've failed. Anybody you've got to trick into or lie into obedience or legislate even into obedience, is someone that you failed. We are servants of the king of God's love. And our path is a hard path, Christians. It is the same path Jesus followed. It is the path of service. It's the path of sacrifice. It's the path of enduring, rugged, fierce, long-suffering love you and i are called if we're willing to answer the call we are called to walk the same path that jesus walked 
all the way to the cross. I am proud to be in front of you this morning. I am proud to be in front of this glorious group of people that God has touched and called to be his own. I'm proud of what God is doing in you and I'm proud that you let me stand up here and serve. And I'm proud that God has given us this high calling and I pray for 2020 that each one of us will go where God wants us to go even if it's a cross. If you need to respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ, if you need prayers or help in some way, you can come forward in just a moment and we will pray for you or help you as best we can. If you're ready to receive baptism, to wash away your sins and begin the new life, then we invite you to come as we stand and are led in song.